Hey, welcome back to Earth Like Heaven. My name is Doug Ressler, and joining me as always is... Robbie Sherry. And we're here to help you close the gap between heaven and earth in your life by learning to live like Jesus. Robbie, today we are talking about the good life. And historically speaking, the good life really was uh, mapped out and defined by the three great schools of psychotherapy in the 19th and 20th century. One started by Sigmund Freud, Mm -hmm. who defined sort of the good life by the experience of pleasure. Right. One by Alfred Adler, who just who um, talked about power, and then one by Viktor Frankl uh, later on in the 20th century, post Holocaust, talking about purpose. So those three things—pleasure, power, and purpose—seem to be at the root or at the heart of how human beings typically define what is good. Right. Um, what are your thoughts on that? How do you see that mapped out just in individuals' lives? I think it's mapped out in lots of different ways. How, how do you see that? You're, you're again for those who. Maybe didn't listen to our first podcast. You're a teacher at a local high school. How do you see that get mapped out in the lives of students or lives of the families of the students that uh, that you serve? I see it playing itself out in in a lot of Western culture. Honestly, yeah, uh, we have a pursuit of materialism. Yeah, um, we have a pursuit of. There's this. I mean, you could probably boil down social media and mm-hmm. and and general purpose purchases and like Amazon and stuff for the the acquisition of that which will make other people envious. Mm-hmm. The idea of power is interesting because there's this, you know, great old aphorism that most people are promoted one level beyond their actual level of competency. Mm-hmm. And we're, the message gets sent to us at a very young age. We want to be line leader. Then we want to be team captain. Then we want to be uh, at the head of the school. We want to be valedictorian. Like everything mm-hmm. is about moving up, moving up, moving up. And if we could just get there, We'll be a little happier. We'll think our life is a little bit better. I think purpose is the one that's interesting that you mentioned that. That seems to be the one that eludes people. Yes. Because people want purpose, mm-hmm. but it's becoming such a nebulous target to hit. They don't know how to find it or mm-hmm. if they've got it once they once they do have it. So I see it with students wanting, they want to be captain of the team. Um, and as a result, their life is built around uh focusing on single athletics from the time they're like four or five years old Mm -hmm. so that they get the uh, leadership role so that they get featured by their coach. So when the college coaches come, they're the ones that get talked to about scholarships, et cetera. I see it with uh, wealth acquisition in my school. Uh, The car you drive is a big deal. Yeah, because it brings you pleasure. Absolutely. Right. It, it brings you pleasure to drive a nice car or to acquire nice things, yeah. those kinds of things. Those hit the pleasure centers of our brain. Like you said, achievement, success, those hit the power centers of our brain. Mm-hmm. This idea that somehow I am a person of influence. I am I am at the top of the heap, not the bottom of the heap, you know, so to speak. The term right? influencer. Correct. Influencer that, right on new, social media. New word. Right, exactly. And then and then, like you said, purpose, though, eludes us. And it's interesting because Frankel, really, um, he developed his theories out of his experience in the death camps during the Holocaust, interesting. where he saw pleasure and power completely removed right. from, from his other, right, from his experience as an inmate. He, he did, certainly, it wasn't a pleasurable experience no. to be in the death camps, and they had no power. So what, what is left to the human being that, that, that you could call good? Mm-hmm. That, that 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 person can rely on. For him, it was purpose. It was finding a purpose beyond oneself. And if you could find a purpose beyond oneself, what Frankel discovered is that you could actually not just survive the death camp experience, but then it gets integrated into your life in such a way that you actually find meaning. Right. You actually are then able to bring others into that and, and give that kind of meaning and purpose away. And so that's what he sort of developed out of that whole experience, which is really... An interesting thing. And when I think about the people that I know in my life 
And I know lots of people from all kinds of different walks of life because this isn't just a rich or poor thing. It's about and it's about what's at the heart. Right. And how we define good, even if you're rich or poor or somewhere in between, it doesn't really matter. We're all sort of swimming in the same water in our culture these days, at least in the in the United States, in, mm-hmm. in let's say Parker, Colorado, where we live in Douglas County. We're swimming in those waters. The good life is defined in a particular way, and it has to do with the acquisition of material things. It has to do with the acquisition of powerful positions in society. It has it has to do with the acquisition of pleasure. So that could be drugs, that could be alcohol, that could be sex, that could be any number of things. Um, and and what I find when I talk to folks is that the one thing that, like, like you said, that eludes them is this idea of purpose. Yeah. Something beyond all of these things. They find these things eventually just get more and more empty. The, the, the more you acquire, the more it just... It, it becomes meaningless on some level. Right. The more pleasure you experience, the more it becomes meaningless on some level. And so unless you combine purpose in there, it, it really is tough. Um, it's tough to actually gain what we might call the good life. And so, so what happens hmm. then, uh, in, again, in your experience, as you're walking alongside folks, when they don't achieve in their minds the good life? What, what kinds of things do you see? Sure, I, I think there's a sense of of lesser than. Mm. I think there's a sense of, uh, I'm just not good at that. Mm-hmm. Um, it is really interesting for me. I work with 14 to 18 year olds and how many of them have already decided at that point in life, what they're good at or not good at, mm. which really frames what they feel like they can pursue. Uh, they get the message very early on. Uh, there's the haves and the haves nots. Mm. Um, sneakers are a big thing. In okay. high school. Okay. I didn't realize that. I, I, I don't know this. Okay. Oh, for sure. If, I mean, the whole, the whole culture now of sneaker drops and if you've got, if you've got Jordans, if you've got Yeezys, mm. then it's a certain status level. If you drive a, for some reason, Jeeps are a big deal at the mm-hmm. school where I work, like a, a, the newer the Jeep, the cooler you are. And if you don't have those things, you sort of relegate yourself to a lesser tier uh, mm. on the social spectrum. Mm. And a lot of my students just decide that's that's what it is. It's wow. like students coming up and saying, "I'm not good at art," hmm. and you, you know you're you're 14 years old, right? What, what do you mean you're not good at art? Right. If I had asked you that 10 years ago, every kindergartner thinks he or she's good at art. Yes, right, right. Or they say, uh, "I can't sing." Hmm. You go, what do you mean? Like at 10 years old in your third, fourth grade classroom, you were in the choir. Mm-hmm. Everybody sang. What happened that made you think that and then determine that and then lock yourself into that to where you have kids at very young ages determining whether or not they have any sense of athletic value or any artistic ability mm-hmm. or whether or not they're, they're smart. In my realm, I teach English and a lot of students say, I'm just not a good reader mm. or worse, I'm not a reader. Mm. You go, wow. So you, you yeah. just condemned yourself to the next however many years of life you have left to, to mm-hmm. not read because other kids read better, uh, your parents maybe told you that wasn't your strong suit, et cetera. So I think when, when students in particular, that's who I come mm-hmm. across a lot, perceive themselves as not having those things, then their life isn't as good. Mm. And so they decide that, okay, this is just the strata to which I'm assigned and I'll make the best uh, that I can out of it. Yeah, and not only do they decide that my life isn't good, I think they start to translate, and I see this with adults as well, they start to translate into, therefore, I'm not good. My value. My value is right. not good, because I don't bring as much value as 
the next person or my classmate, or I'm not as gifted or talented in a particular area. So I don't bring as much value as this person Mm -hmm. over here. And so they start to diminish themselves. They start to limit um, what they um, may or may not be capable of. The horizons of their life start to shrink in on them a little bit. Um, And then what I also find with that is that as those things are shrinking in, it's kind of the walls are closing in around them. Their anxiety level is rising. Right. Their fear level is rising. Their depression level is rising. Um, and that's why you see, I think, on some level, um, and you know, people are trying to study this and figure out what's at the root of this, but um, this next generation coming up, Generation Z, is experiencing you know, anxiety disorders at like a 60%. 60% was the number I saw the other day. Higher rate than previous generations. Like, How in the world is that possible that our kids are experiencing anxiety rates that high, that significant? What in the world is going on in our culture? And I think a lot of it, of course, a lot of people are pointing to social media and the prevalence of sure. that and the fact that you can't ever escape. You know, you and I, we're, we're old guys. And so when we, we grew up <laughs> and you true. didn't have cell it's phones, you, you know, you didn't, you, you know. And, and so, you had to memorize phone numbers to yeah, call your buddy. Right, you had to memorize yeah. phone numbers totally. Carry a pocket of quarters. You know, I, I still remember like the first time I got like a phone for my bedroom. Like it, I had to be like 16. Oh. Like that was a big, big deal. You Did know, you get so one now, of those like soda can phones or like a cool phone? No, it wasn't had, anything cool like oh, that. Right. And, it, and it wasn't a rotary phone either. It was it was actually one that you could hit the buttons Push button. On, right? yeah. so that, at least it was that. But the point being that like there was there was a sense in which you could, when you went home from school for the day, you kind of got a break, right? You got a mental break. You got a, like an emotional break. That is not possible for kids these days. They go home and life is just relentlessly, relentlessly pressing in on them, um, twenty four seven. And and when you're when you're looking at someone else's highlight reel on Instagram or social, you know, or Facebook or whatever, kids don't look at Facebook, but Instagram, <laughs> or, you know, or TikTok or whatever it is. You're made to feel less than. You're yeah. made to feel like, oh, they have the good life, and I don't. And I do not. I don't, and therefore I'm not good. Mm-hmm. Now, over and against all of this, of course, again going back to purpose, because I think so much of this is because people don't have purpose. If you have a purpose, you have sort of a grounded center mm-hmm. in your life that that helps you reframe pleasure, power, these kinds of things. Which pleasure and power are, are not necessarily bad things they're kind of neutral in themselves Mm -hmm. we all want some degree of power some degree of ability to make decisions in our life and do that that's a that's a sense of personal power right Right. we all want to experience pleasure right we want we want to eat good food and we want good fellowship and good friendship and we want to have some maybe good experiences maybe we go to the mountains and oh Mm -hmm. it's just a great experience to hike in the mountains or something like that we all want pleasure These are not bad things necessarily, but those things without purpose are ungrounded and there you end up in this comparison game. Those things with purpose can ground you and now all of a sudden you get to reframe some of those things and they actually become, I think, on some level achievable and immune on some level to the comparison game. Right. I mean, I don't know if you'd agree with that or what your your thoughts are on that. I would agree with that. I think the... The few very wealthy, not the slightly wealthy, but the very wealthy people that I've met seem to get that mm-hmm. in the sense that there's something that transcends the acquisition of wealth for them. And they start to figure out this idea of, well, if I, if I give this away, right. I have a greater, right. greater delight. Yes. And I, I've known very wealthy believers in Christ and, and people who have acquired a great wealth but don't believe in Christ. And they come to the same conclusion mm-hmm. that... I create, I take greater delight in 
providing for others, mm-hmm. uh, giving others an experience they wouldn't otherwise be able to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, I mean, it goes back to what Jesus says, this idea right. of giving it away. And, right. and some know that and some don't, but it's, that's what I guess I've experienced is the ones that have sort of mm-hmm. turned this corner. You reach this certain point of pleasure seeking or, or power seeking or purpose seeking that they go, I have that and it's, it's not enough. Mm-hmm. So there has to be something that I do in that. And I think people find purpose in going back to these things that Jesus says, but the world says you would be crazy to do. Really. And, and I agree with that. And, and I think where you see, where I see that sort of most on display is when I go to places overseas where they, they don't have anything mm-hmm. and yet they still find a way to give everything away. Right. I have in my head this image. Um, this happens frequently when I'm in Africa and I'm worshiping with the community over there um, with Christians. And when they when they do offering time, like in their worship service, mm-hmm. like so many churches in the West do right. as well, like we have a time for the offering where you put money in a plate or we used to put money in a plate. Now right. you might give online or whatever it is you do. In their churches, you often come forward to put your offering in the basket. So you're right. doing it in front of everybody. Okay. And I watch this happen Time after time after time, it always strikes me. It always actually brings tears to my eyes. It's so moving. You have people who are living in life-threatening poverty, less than $2 a day, that kind of thing. And they're coming forward, and they don't have anything in their hand. Right. But they still make the act of offering over the basket. Yeah. With the hope that one day they will have something to offer. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. it's the most faithful, glorious thing to watch people who have nothing still making that act of giving right? because they believe that the act itself is what is so important and what God has called us to. Hmm. And I think that's the source of so much of the joy that they have is that because they don't have much, they, they don't, there's, they're not enslaved to material things. They're right. not enslaved because they don't experience much pleasure in this world. They're actually protected from becoming enslaved to that hmm. because they don't have much power, not in worldly, you know, in a worldly, from a worldly standard. Um, again, they're not enslaved to it. Now, seeking power. I'm not saying that to be desperately poor is good, but, but for them and their spot and their condition, I have just met person after person after person after person who has found a way even in their desperation to achieve the good life. Right. And as a result, they have the fullness of joy and they have the fullness of peace, even though they don't know where their next meal's coming from, even though they're going to have to spend, you know, the 40 or 50 years they're here on this earth because their life expectancies are pretty low at the end of the day. They're going to, they know they're going to spend that in just backbreaking labor. Mm -hmm. You know, they have found a way to experience Again, what we would consider to be the good life and the byproduct of that, which is, again, joy and peace and this, this, this sense of community and depth of relationship. It's just a really powerful, powerful thing. Right. And I think it messes with most of the folks that I take, right? It, it totally the, does. The poverty messes with them right. because we're not used to seeing that, not where we live, not in Douglas County, Colorado, right? right. We're not used to seeing that. But what really messes with them is why, why do these people have such joy sure. in their broken and desperate condition. I think that actually messes with them more maybe than the poverty. Maybe so. Yeah. It's the classic verse to go to biblically is the John 10, 10, right? Jesus says, you know, I've come that they might have, might have life and Mm -hmm. have it to the full or other translations have, have this abundant life. Abundant life. Yeah. And which, which is what we would define as the good life, the abundant life that Jesus is offering. Right. Yeah. But it seems that so many of us, uh, going back to what we initially said, that so, so many people want, of course you want a full life. Of course you want an abundant mm-hmm. life. So the question becomes, what route do you follow in life to, right. 
to land there, basically. And you can you can take a variety of routes. Jesus extends his hand and says, I came that you could actually have that. Mm-hmm. And I think what most discerning people do is they they reach an age where they look across the landscape of life and go, which route am I going to follow? Yeah. And the one that Jesus offers seems a little bit upside down. Right. Uh, and there's a variety of ways the world offers it in terms of what is good. And I think that's the fundamental question. When Jesus says abundant or full or good, we have to stop and consider is his definition the same as ours? Right. Yeah. And 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 what would you say his definition is? I think what he offers is this idea of absolute joy, peace, what you said, relational depth, a sense of purpose in a way that transcends materialism, in a way that transcends um, our own personal uh, wants, needs, and desires. We get a sense of we are living for something greater than self. And I think that's, that's why you see people both who are rich or poor, who have a sense of peace that we go, how do I get that? Mm-hmm. Uh, people who are healthy or sick, who have a sense of joy, yes, who right. say, how do I get that? And so what Jesus offers is this abundant life that we go, man, I want, the abundance sounds good, or mm-hmm. good good sounds good. Right. How do I get it? And then we sift through sort of his paradoxical teachings and we go, I don't know if that makes sense in today's world. Right. And so I think what people then resign themselves to do is take sort of this moralistic approach of, I want a good life, so therefore I'll try to be a good person, hmm. but I've got to navigate life on my own and try to avoid what the world tells me is bad and achieve that which the world says is good. Yeah, and the interesting thing about Jesus, he doesn't just teach this, he shows us. He lives it. Right, he lives it. I think totally. most people would say, even if they're not believers, I mean, most people I know would say that Jesus was an amazing human being. Well, maybe if, maybe if you're gonna change the dating system, right? Maybe right. I mean, <laughs> if the whole entire calendar right. sort of revolves around your everyone birth, huddled up in the world and said we can't agree on anything, but we, we can, can agree, agree on the date <laughs> that this totally. guy is good enough to change the dating That's exactly system. Right. For, so, yeah, I mean, most people would say that Jesus was an amazing human being, maybe the most amazing human being that has ever walked the face of the earth. Without question, he's the most influential. Right. Now, and that's not to say there aren't other influences out there like Buddha and, and Krishna and, you know, Muhammad. And, and I mean, there are. But without question, Jesus is the most influential human being in history. If you just, on the face of it, just objectively speaking. Right? I was going to add Sting to that list. You're going to add Sting to the, yeah. the, the list? From of, the police. Right? Like, just yeah, to yeah, be I able to consider. Yeah. I know who Sting is. The basis? Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes, I get it. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, Jesus beats Roxanne. him. Yeah. Yes, I got it. Okay. Right. <laughs> and he does. <laughs> right. Um, so Jesus, if, if, <laughs> if it is true that there's this general shared understanding that Jesus is the most amazing human being that has ever walked the face of the earth, on some level, whether we, whether we are consciously acknowledging it or not, what we're saying there is that Jesus achieved the good life. And offers it to the rest of us. Right. And that's what Jesus does, right? He says, now, now, do what I do, essentially. And Jesus came and he says, he does offer this, this upside down way of living that he himself lived. Right. He says, I, I didn't come to do my own will. I came to do the will of my father. So Jesus clearly was a man of purpose. Right. He understand he understood his purpose was to do not what he wanted to do, but what his father, his heavenly father wanted him to do. So he was a man of purpose and and then he he contrasted his father's will with the will of this world hmm. by saying things like okay, the first shall be last. Right. And the last shall be first. And you go 
wait a minute. Like, what are you talking about? And then he says things like, um, the one who will gain his life will lose it. And the one who loses her life for my sake will find it. And you're like, what? What are we even talking about here, yeah. right? You know, those kinds of things, these kinds of radical upside down ideas that says you actually gain the good life by giving everything away. You actually gain joy by relinquishing and letting go of mm-hmm. the things of this world that you think will bring you joy. You yeah. know, and, and anybody that I think that has experienced a deep, loving relationship with someone, you know a little bit of what this feels like. <laughs> because, say, talk to a parent. Right. In order to in order to experience love, you have to you have to you, you can't you can't hold on to it. Right. You can't like I like uh, my wife and I've been married, you know, 26 years. Like I can't try and control her. I can't try and overpower her. I can't that that's not that's not how I'm going to retain her love. Right. I retain her love by loving by by serving her and blessing her and giving myself to her day after day after day after day. If I try and control, it always goes bad. It goes bad. Right. Every time. And it's the same with our kids, right? right. It's the same with with any relationship in life. And so you think about that and you think about not only our relationship with other people, but our relationship with things, our relationship mm-hmm. again with power, our relationship with pleasure. I mean, I don't can't tell you the number of addicts I know, right? Who they they take a hit off a bong or they take a drink and it brings all lights up the pleasure centers in their brain like you would not believe. And then they try and go back to that for the same experience and it's elusive. So they have to do more and more and more and more and more of it. And when you see the, the end of that journey, what you've got is someone who's just an absolute burned out, empty shell of a human being. Sure. And, and that's where that road ends. And Jesus says, no, 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 that's not where I want you. I want you on my road. I want you on this road over here. But in order to be on this road, you actually let go. You actually surrender. You actually submit. You actually give away. You, you don't hold on to these things. Well, it sounds, I mean, your, your use of addict there was particular to drug use, but right. I mean, it's anything. Oh, that's anything. It's Absolutely. Anything. We want right. more and more that's and more right. to achieve that's the right. same same level. It's that's right. It's so true. And it's I was going back to the thing that you're talking about as a parent. If I were to offer you a relationship and I say, Here here's the deal, you could enter into this relationship and the other person is gonna be totally needy. It's gonna cry mm-hmm. when he or she doesn't get right. what she wants, gonna throw a fit, sometimes for no reason whatsoever. Right. You are going to have to do the feeding. You're gonna have to do take care of bathroom duties. And you know what? You're not gonna receive an ounce of thank you. Right. You want in on that? You'd be like, heck no. Right, right. But ask any parent who gazes into the eyes of this child who they see and who's totally dependent on them. And it, for many of us, it's the first time in our lives when we've been absolutely selfless. Mm. And that, that idea of emptying ourselves Mm. is what Jesus says. Like put yourself lower than someone, serve, and you'll get this, this glimpse of what it means to be, to experience genuine love. Hmm. And I mean, parents, parents understand this. And so you, you say that, okay, so if, if Jesus is right on that, mm-hmm. that's what I, I think I go back to sort of pragmatically is yeah. you can fight the ways of Jesus. And I think he just kind of waits there patiently and goes, yeah. well, let me know how that goes for you. Yeah. Um, I think it's going to sting a little yeah. bit. I think it's going to hurt. I'm going to be here for you. But he says, you know, when, when he comes and says, I'm going to do the will of my father in heaven, 
you know, the world says, you know, get as much sex as you can. Jesus says, I think if you wait till marriage, it's, it's going to go well for you. Right. The world says, you know, take this thing, abuse it, get addicted to it. So the point that you're going to need more and more and more. And Jesus goes, no, like it, it's not that God's anti-wine, but there's a, there's a when in a right place and an amount mm-hmm. to consume it. Right. And this just over and over and over, when we see that Jesus's ways are better, we go, okay. So going mm-hmm. back to your power, pleasure, and purpose, I think one of the secrets of the Christian life is when you recognize I don't need to compare myself to everybody else. Mm. I can look at the way God's uniquely gifted and designed me. And, you know, I think of you and me in particular, I'm, there are certain things that I'm, I'm like, I love woodworking for some Mm -hmm. reason, this sort of exacting nature with building furniture appeals to me. Is your boss like a Jewish carpenter? Uh, (laughs) Uh, no. Okay. I just, <laughs> I just do it. I read a book about that somewhere. Something I didn't like know that. If you read that book. Yeah. 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 I prefer the word tecton, which could mean stone. Oh my no, goodness. I'm kidding. You're such a nerd. I am. Um, but I, there's, there's other things that I'm very, as a kid, it was like, well, I've got to be good at everything. Mm-hmm. And I think we talked about this yeah. in a previous episode, but when you can kind of sit there and go, here's, here's where the Lord's gifted me. And I'm going to be firing on all four cylinders when I'm using that. Mm-hmm in a, in a direction that is for something greater than myself, that's when I feel like what an amazing life. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of uh, that famous story about, uh, and his name is escaping me. You probably remember the chariots of fire guy, Eric, Eric Little, Eric Little, right? Or he, Liddell. Yeah. yeah. He's, he says that when he runs, he feels the pleasure of the Lord, right? Doesn't yeah. But nobody would take the missionary strategy of how about you go train like a maniacal athlete and you'll reach people for Jesus. Right. Exactly. So he says, when I run, I feel the pleasure of the Lord. And I think the secret, the heart really of the Christian life, what Jesus is here to offer us is that if we will follow and embrace his purpose, then we will experience his power and his pleasure. Right. And that's on a whole nother level than any pleasure or power or even purpose that we could achieve on our own in this life. And that's really what Jesus is here to offer us is, mm-hmm. is to, and to show us what that looks like is to say, yeah, if you will serve the greatest purpose, the purpose for which you were created, the purpose for which you came into this world, the purpose for which God with his own hands formed and fashioned you in your mother's womb, if you will serve that purpose, the power and the pleasure that, that then you will experience from the Holy Spirit um, will dwarf anything you could possibly manufacture right. on your own in this world or anything this, this world might possibly manufacture and offer to you. Right. This this is really the source of true joy, the source of true right. peace. And going back to your image about, you know, any, you know, a parent kind of gets a glimpse of that and how they care for their child. Um, I would say that um, this is also what people experience. You don't have to be a parent. You can go on a mission trip, True. serve the poorest of the poor True. for a week at a time, and people's lives are changed by that experience. Why? Because they catch a glimpse mm-hmm. of what it truly means to go from first to last, what it truly means to give everything you have away for the sake of a, of a purpose and a mission greater yeah. than your own. And, and, and the goal, of course, is to then take what you've experienced, take what you have tasted and seen, and bring that back and to begin to incorporate that into your everyday life, your everyday relationships. Like that's really what it's all about. Yeah. Uh, Robbie, thanks again for uh, just uh, coming out and, and uh, spending this time with us. Uh, and thanks to, as always to our guys, uh, Jake and Billy behind the glass, making us sound good. Um, please keep listening as we dive deeper into what it means to follow Jesus. We'd love your comments. We'd love your reviews on whatever platform you choose to listen to your podcast. Subscribe and stay tuned as we release more episodes in the coming weeks. Can't wait to talk to you next time.